Okay. First of all, can we thank Mark for doing a out-of-the-park job this morning? Secondly, I've decided that I'm just going to MC and let these guys answer the questions. <laughs> I feel like that's what the Lord said to me. All right. So, um, I was going to say something else too. Okay. So, why do I have the microphone? Introduce this. Get it going. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. I'm John. I'm the pastor of the Gathering Place Church. This is my knockout, smart, intelligent, spiritual, and hot wife, Hope. And uh, we have six kids. We uh, adopted one from Vietnam, special needs child, and one from Africa, who's also special needs. And we have four biological children. And Hope is also in school. Because we feel God uh, spoke to us almost audibly that shocked us. And so she's been on a track. She got her associate's degree. She just now started going to San Diego State University. She's majoring in public health and is, will end up with her doctorate or her, her Ph.D. in epidemiology. The first time I tried to say it publicly, I said epidermiology, <laughs> which means she would be stuffing dead things, I guess. So epidemiology, yeah, taxidermy. So she'll be working with... Uh, uh, yeah, we'll just move on from there. Okay. And then we have Miss Claudia Maddox. Woo! Well, she told me to introduce everybody. Oh, you introduce yourself? Yeah, introduce yourself. Okay, so I shouldn't say that you're hot and all no. that. All right. That's for Bob to say, John. He says that all the time, so it's okay. Well, we're Bob and Claudia Maddox, and we pastor here for 24 years. Yes. Yes. We've yes. been married 43 years. Yes. How does that happen? I, I, it sounds like a lot. It, it just has gone by so quickly. And we have three kids that are grown, 26-year-old daughter who's not married, 35-year-old daughter who has three daughters, and a wonderful husband, and a son who's almost 40. That means you could be my daughter. I was saying earlier, she could be my daughter. And, um, Bob could be my grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're a little bit older. Your great-grandpa. <laughs> And um, so our son's going to be 40 next year, and they have twin six-year-olds. So we have five grandkids. And, um, yeah, we love marriage. Yes, I figured it out. Uh, I'm weird. She's wonderful. And that's it. You know. <laughs> and you already know us. So um, who wants to take the first question? I'm going to read a question and do it, and then we're going to alternate up and down the row. If you are being told, this has to be the man who's speaking, in my opinion. If you're being told something that is flat out wrong, and you step in to correct it, to attempt to help her, is that wrong? You tell her, be teachable so you can mature. If I always allow you to say things that are wrong and inaccurate, why would I let it go? Okay, um, you didn't hear a word I was saying. <laughs> you are the idiot, she thinks you are. And thank God this session is taped and also in video. So you need to go and get both. And you need to listen to it in the car every day for the next year. 
and watch it three times a week on your TV. All right, listen, let me try to summarize the whole time together. The point in listening to her is not to wait for an opportunity to be right. Being right in relationships is highly overrated. If God valued being right in his relationship with us on earth, he would have killed us a long time ago. Right? Love is what's important here. And love listens. And love is patient. And love doesn't wait for the first opportunity to correct. Love picks a moment to correct when it's the right thing to do and where it will be helpful and whether, where it will be in a moment that's surrounded with love and acceptance. We don't deal well with correction. Nobody deals well with correction. The only time we accept correction from someone is when we firstly believe they really love us. Am I right? Yeah. Otherwise, we react defensively. So she needs to know really truly that you love her. And that your reason for correcting her is entirely out of love. The tone of what I'm reading here suggests you're far more concerned with being right and with right and wrong than with how your wife is actually doing. That's not going to work for you. It's just not going to fly. So I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to change your approach here. I think you need to change your approach to where you're going to graciously listen to her for a long time so she knows that you really love her. By listening, you earn the right to correct. And when you correct, you only do it to the extent that's really necessary. Besides, most of the time we lead by example, not by, not by lecture. Sorry if I've been hard on you, but you really need to get this. Whoever you are, you really need to get this. Hey, Mark, let me say something. I know there's been times when we've disagreed on something, and I've actually known that I was right. And instead of insisting, I just... Just leave it, and yeah. and then later we find out, you know. <laughs> you know, rather than insist and get into a big fight, if you know it's not worth it, <laughs> it's better just to say, you know what? Hey, it'll all come out. And, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's usually our egos, right? Yes. And, and you're going to have to learn what Mark just said at least three or four hundred times before you get it, yeah. right, Mark? Yeah. 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 You yeah. practice it, right? Yeah. You practice it, right. and you don't do it well the first time. No, not the three hundredth time, maybe. Maybe the 301st time. Yeah. Okay, who wants to take another one? What do you do when you have no time? And this person says without kids, but I think with or without kids. Or energy for sex. And here's what I have to say about that. I'm a firm believer that when people say they don't have time or they don't have money for something, what they're actually saying is other things are more important than that. Mm -hmm. So I really, when someone says that to me, I automatically think that's not true. You're just, you've made other value uh, choices in your life. So first of all, I think, and, and I don't want to make a generalization to say that this is always directed at wives, because I know plenty of people that it's just the opposite. So I'm speaking to husbands and wives. I think first you have to decide that this, regardless of where you are in your life right now, whether or not you feel it's important, the fact is it's important. Mm -hmm. And you have to acknowledge that especially if you're in like a struggle with your spouse over it's more important to one or the other, the person who happens to be in the season that says right now I'm too tired or whatever, you have to acknowledge that it's your responsibility as a spouse to meet that need in your spouse. And it really is not about what you feel like or you're tired or you need to do what it takes to get to a place mentally 
to um, meet that need in your spouse. Now, I know that you can get in a power struggle and this can get abusive, and I'm not talking about situations where you have a spouse that says, I need it every day. That's to, you guys have to get to a place where you agree on, a, on a, a, something that's acceptable to both of you. But, I mean, we have six kids. I'm in school full-time. Our life is crazy. But we've come to a place where we say this is important. It is important to a marriage. These people that say, well, we've just learned to live without it, or we've learned to live with it once every six months. That is not godly. It's not, and it's not good for your marriage. And so you need to come to a place where you find uh, something that works for both of you, a win-win, not where someone just gives up and says, well, okay. Um, you find a win-win, and you find a way to make it happen because it's, it, it is important, and it, it means you have to schedule it, and some people are like, well, that's not spontaneous. Well, that's better than not having sex. If, if putting it on the calendar is what you have to do for it to happen, that's what you do, and that way you're prepared for it. And if that means you need to take a nap, if that means you need to get a sitter, if that means that you need to plan a date night so that you're in the mood, you do what it takes for it to happen. Because it is very bad news for your marriage for you to be going weeks and months without sex. I, don't, I think... Right what? on. Right on. Gentlemen. Oh, gentlemen. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let me balance that out. Let me balance that out with, a, with. I'll take the next question. Yeah. Um, Don't balance it out. It was perfect. Well, I want to help the ladies out because my wife just helped the men out. In general, I know no. some of you. I know some of you women are uh, little tigers, but um, mo most mo most studies show that men want it more than women. Yeah. So let me say this to help with the ladies. Men, my wife calls me atmosphere man. I am the Hollywood romantist. When we first got married, I'd light the candles and dim, you know, the lights, and I would put the music. And she's like, what? <laughs> and so my, my disappointment came when I'm expecting it to be a fantasy every time we make love. And what I had, she had to come to a place where she was uh, able to meet my biological needs because at one point in our marriage early on I said I need to communicate to you this isn't just a want this is a need you need to be you need to understand this is a need physiologically you know something's gonna pop so you you need to help me you need me to listen to you I need sex okay these are both needs so once we got them into the need category in each other's minds oh this is not just something that's convenient or wonderful in a marriage, it's a physiological need. Yes, okay, it's in my need category, great. Now, what I had to learn was sometimes she's just doing her duty and I cannot expect her to get out the dancing bear. <laughs> okay, so you need to be okay, men, with her, her saying, all right, I'm gonna do this, but I am exhausted, my eyes are rolling the back of my head, let's get to it. And you just need to be okay with that and accept it for what it is. And then every once in a while, when Nana has all the kids <laughs> and we've been in a hotel for two days and she has slept really good, that's called vacation sex. <laughs> it is completely different, and I praise God for it. That's why I would always say that we, every time we'd go on vacation that we were having another honeymoon because you, you realize, oh, yeah, that's why <laughs> married you because you, know? you have these honeymoons over and over and over all through the years and and another thing too is there's seasons in life right yeah. so you know as you get older you, it might slow a bit but 
pay. You know, it's, it's really under. It's sorry, but it, this season thing is important. There's this. There's football season, and then there's sex. No. One of the things too, I, uh, th because as a pastor, when you see m marriages that have come to an end and been disasters, and if it is around this particular topic we're talking about right now, some people absolutely do not realize it is a biblical mandate too. That's right. And if you don't understand that, you know, Paul was explicit about it. He said it's the responsibility that the body of your spouse belongs to your spouse, and to one another. And so even so much that when we think about the Puritans, you get an idea when you think of the Puritans. These were, you know, just uptight people that never had sex. No. In fact, in the Puritan church, mm -hmm. they kicked a man out of the church because he was not having sex with his wife. They really believed that it was a biblical mandate. So it's not like, oh, I've got to do this, God. But if there's if there's an unwillingness of either member of the of the couple to not meet those needs, you you are heading for disaster and you're breaking God's law. Well, Mark always taught me that it was the the highest form of intercession. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's a form of spiritual warfare. And, and what you guys are saying, I, I don't know. And, uh, Claudia, you go ahead, and then I just have something to add I, on this subject. Well, you're, and, and plus, you're um, you're preventing the enemy from from tempting. Exactly, if you're, Claudia. You know, and to me, you know what? You, Christians should have the best sex lives of anybody. Yeah. I really believe that. And yeah, if if you're being care, selfless and giving yourself to your spouse, Christians seriously should have the best, the freest. The most non-condemning sex lives of anybody, and 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 that should be a testimony. Yeah. And when you're when you're happy sexually in your marriage, it radiates to every other part of your marriage. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes we women rank on the guys. You know, I think the guys would get a little bit of the worst end of the deal in some sometimes in these things. But we need to be giving. We need to be selfless and and seeing you know, their needs as well as ours. And as we all give a hundred percent, we get it back. Even I know at times when I remember, um, you know, years ago and I, I'd be tired, my kids would be, you know, and I would, you know, go ahead and, and do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting off. <laughs> but I would, you know, I would, I'd be tired, but I go ahead and then I would get more blessed. You know, sometimes you just got to get going and then you're, you're saying, hallelujah, this is great. <laughs> I, just, I, I wonder what she's talking about. <laughs> um, I just wanted to add, um, there was a real switch for me. And just like you were saying, Claudia, um, you know, I wore that duty badge, so I took it, I'm kind of ringing here, I took it very response, very seriously that this was important. And um, I had a real switch, though, somewhere along the line. Mark said, you know, I'm not enjoying it unless you're enjoying it. And um, that was a real switch for me, because I kind of, I was along that line of, this is important, and, and this is my responsibility, and my body's not my own. And when he said that, I started to catch almost the, the nuances of how he wanted to be gentle, how he wanted to serve. And um, it can really change things. And when I started to, to 
to stop all my performing and actually receive what he had to give, I realized that that gentleness, that connecting was actually what I really wanted. And I had almost repainted it, you know, as a performance or, or whatnot. So that was really important for me. And there's, there's nothing that beats a headache. Like, <laughs> okay. Like Claudia's experience. Exactly. Hallelujah. I wonder okay? what that could be. I want to check in here on something. Um, Turn me down. A man. <laughs> yes. No, I really, I really am serious. So when she says, now I have a headache, I go, say, well, Mark and Shelly said, I can get rid of your headache. Call me up. But it really had to do with the gentleness and the, the love that was emanating. So it was kind of reframing. I don't know if you guys experience this, but I'm going to speak uh, honestly from my experience. Men have a need to feel powerful. It's huge for us. And I don't, I enjoy sex most when I feel I have the power to please her. Right. When I see her having Claudia's experience, <laughs> it <laughs> takes me up right. six notches. And my joy is in, it, it's selfish and it's giving. I love to see her um, climax, but the sense of power that I have as a man in being able to please her like that is what makes the experience really exciting for yeah. me. So, guys, if you're not doing this, you've just got to do this. You make her orgasm your number one goal in sex. And if you have to sit down and talk with her, and if you have to say, show me exactly what you want me to do so we can accomplish this, you do that. And then you do that for her all the time because now you're giving her everything you can possibly give her and you're making it, your goal is about her, but what you get in the feedback is you get this incredible rush of male affirmation of the power you have to please her. And to me, that completes, that's really what I'm in it for is that moment. So um, that's just practical. And I also want to apologize to the first guy who I ripped up. I was way too hard on you. Uh, you can correct your wife, but after you've listened first, give a good solid time of listening and then say, honey, I've heard you. I get your emotions. Uh, I, I, I think I understand what you're trying to say. Now, this is what I think I need to say and just leave it at that. Nothing more than that. Yeah. Okay. And I also want to say, you know, we're sensitive to the singles that have come today and really respect you. Uh, we were graphic here for a reason in that these things you need to know entering into relationships. Um, we have a pastor that gave all his staff intended for pleasure the textbook. Which Shelley and I burned. <laughs> through. Uh. Burned through. <laughs> uh, I'm serious because sometimes if we grow up in a Christian home and these things aren't discussed... Um, I mean, that's one of the first things I'll do in pre-marriage counseling, maybe in separate. It's like there's some things we can learn. You know, when Hope and I got married, uh, we laid in bed and read that book together. And um, we looked at the illustrations and then we practiced. Amen. <laughs> Thank you and for it was extreme. And it was extremely helpful. It helps it you understand the, bio the biology. It's true of the other person's body Absolutely, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it helps you traverse yeah. the jungle. Yeah. 
Your what is that? Your body is a. Okay. Song of Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a jungle. The song of John. Solomon. Yeah, there's a there's a current a theme song part. that relates to the song of Solomon. It's your body's a playground. Part. Something like that. Anyway. <laughs> Next question. Okay, let's go on to something else. <laughs> okay. It's okay, baby. I'll get to you. Okay, I've got a question. Go okay. for it, quick. This is when a fight does break out, we realize that we need a few minutes to part to, to cool down. Amen. But we have a few, I mean, we have a rule not to leave each other. Other room is okay, other location is not. Is this a rule, a good one, or should any amount of distance be permitted to cool down? <laughs> like going to the other side of the country. <laughs> I'm leaving. No. <laughs> what I think, um, yeah, maybe if you need a, a, a time to cool down, but the worst thing I think people experience is if someone's going to be quiet or not say anything. That to me is even is worse than if you're, you know, continue to, to fight. But... If you need a little bit of time, great. But, yeah, I, I agree. You should finish it because you shouldn't let your the sun go down on your wrath. You should work it through. The devil wants to get to you. And if we see the devil is the one who's trying to make you disagree, and then you can work through the situation and finally end up forgiving one another and loving. We try to always work it through, you know. If, if we want to part or whatever and walk away, we just say, no, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to talk this through, and we're going to work it through, and we're going to pray and humble ourselves eventually and say we're sorry. And usually we can come to that before the sun goes down. Otherwise, you let the enemy in there, and it just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? So, I mean, that's what we found. We just try to keep, and we try to realize it's the enemy, you know, ultimately, and try to... To talk it through and humble ourselves and not attack each other. But yeah. yeah, I want to put a proviso on that. Um, when we first started doing the spa thing and things were really dark and all the dresses were black, uh, we got into some horrendous public fights at the spa. There's nobody uh, around. No, there are neighbors around. <laughs> and they could hear us. And personally, nightly entertainment. <laughs> personally, as a man, I found that humiliating. Yeah. So uh, I would say to her, we would get roaring in the spa and it'd get nasty and she's raising her voice and she's yelling at me and um, I can't take that. So I say, we can't have this discussion here. We have to go home and we'll have it in the house. And then when we start to have it in the house, she would throw like really out of control fits. And um, I knew that if I waited another five minutes in that I was going to explode at her and say some things I would regret for the rest of my life because I did once and she's never forgotten those words mm. and I don't blame her for that so what I would have to do is I would have to say listen I'm getting out of control right now I'm getting really really angry if we continue this for another few minutes I'm going to say things I'll regret for the rest of my life mm. so I need to leave right now and I just need to go away for a while. So I would turn around and walk away. And I'd say, I'm not. And, and now her immediate fear is he's rejecting me. This is the prelude to, to abandonment because she was adopted as a child and has huge abandonment issues. So she would read this as abandonment. So I would look at her and say, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not hopeless of the relationship. I'm just really angry right now. And I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. So I have to go away and cool down. I am not ignoring this issue 
and we will deal with it and we'll make an appointment either an hour from now or two hours from now or tomorrow morning or, or afternoon. We're going to deal with this, but I don't trust myself right now. Studies have been done and women um, have much less testosterone in their bodies than men do and men have 10,000 times the concentration of testosterone as does a woman. Testosterone is responsible for your fight reflex, your rage, your outbursts of anger. And a woman, her anger peaks very quickly. It just goes like this, but conversely, it drops very quickly. She can come off her anger very, very fast. It goes up fast, goes down fast. A guy's anger builds like this, and then it just takes off, and then it peaks, and it takes him I think like four or five times longer to come down than she does. So in a typical fight, uh, she peaks in anger. He gradually gets provoked. She stays there a little too long. His anger comes up and pretty well matches hers. Now he's just almost on the verge of violence. She begins to back off and her anger drains quite quickly and his just remains. And she can't understand now that she feels better and isn't upset why he isn't all of a sudden responsive and communicating and he's still struggling with whether, whether to kill her or not. <laughs> and so she comes after him to pursue to make everything all right and he's afraid of his responses and he's really upset and he pulls away and has to retreat and she thinks she's being rejected so she comes after him a little harder and that provokes him a little bit more and you get this hunted, hunter-hunted response. Is this making sense? Mm -hmm. So look, the fact that, he, what, guys, what you need to do, or if it's the woman that's really angry, you just need to reaffirm your commitment, your love to them, that you're not ignoring the issue, that you're going to deal with it as soon as you possibly can, but right now I'm not fit to deal with this without acting in ways I'll be ashamed of and that will really hurt you and I don't want to really hurt you. Give me some time, give me a little room, and then we'll pick this thing up when I'm under self-control. And then you make sure that you do pick it up and you didn't just use that nice paragraph as a way of escaping the issue. I would like to say that when I'm angry, I can't be that articulate. So even though in theory that is the right thing to do, and maybe some of you can pull that off, I think as long as we understand the essence of what Mark just said and understand that's part of the ground rules, I personally need some space because I need to think, mm -hmm. right? I need to, all the information that just came at me. Sometimes I'm not even clear on how I really feel or perceive the situation, so we'll have a clash. Um, and uh, at one point, I just need some space. And it's not, it's not abandonment. It's so that I can, my emotions can calm down. Maybe I can pray or just think. And so I know many times, and this is, these are generalities, but I think that the percentage-wise, most women feel this way, most men feel this way. The woman feels abandoned, like he's going to go into his cave and this situation is never going to get resolved. Okay, that would be unfair for it never to get to resolved. But I think the woman, the wife needs to understand he needs some time alone to process this and I need to let him have that time. Um, and the man needs to understand I have, I have time to process this, but it would be unfair and ungodly for me not to eventually come back out of my cave and reapproach the situation. 
So I think personally, and I don't know, maybe some marriage therapists would say I'm wrong, but for us, the way it works for me is I need uh, a different place uh, physicality, yeah. physicality, right? Physically. I need to go somewhere other than the same room. But I am coming back. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys see how gender enters into this? Mm -hmm. This is a perfect reflection of this fact. Women communicate to discover their point. When she's firing all this stuff at you, she's trying to figure out how she really feels and clarify that in her own mind. You, on the other hand, don't communicate until you have a point. You're trying to figure out what to say about everything she's just saying. You're trying to figure out what your point is. You don't have it yet. You have to do what John's talking about. You have to go away, think about it, figure out what you really think, what the facts are as far as you're concerned, and then come back. When you're pressed to come up with the response that you haven't considered, you're out of your element. You're communicating without a point. And that'll just end up leading to rage. And, you know, we all have to recognize that uh, God has given us guidelines for this kind of situation. In spite of whatever our hormones are doing, God has told us in the word that he will not allow us to be uh, tried above our level of grace. God's going to give us the way out of this. And I say that to preface my next statement because I had a person the other day that talked to me about uh, a situation with his spouse that happened and basically it was a turning point for their marriage because uh, he remembered seeing a point when this individual got uh, so uh, so in a state of of anger that there was something that literally uh, attached to her now I don't believe Christians can be demon possessed but the Bible does say in Ephesians that we are not to give the enemy a foothold. So whatever that means. In other words, even if it's a toehold, we've yielded an area mm -hmm. where the enemy now has uh, permission to do things. And that's right in the same scripture that says, don't let the sun yes. go down on your wrath. All right? So you've got to make sure. He said, I love the way he put it. I'm not running away from this issue. We're going to deal with it. And... We made this agreement uh, when, uh, years ago. We were, we were going to live by that scripture. And that's probably been one of the greatest factors in our relationship. Mm -hmm. Is that we have not... Uh, maybe there's only been one time in our marriage that I can ever remember when we actually went to sleep without at least drawing up truth lines and, and, and letting the, the wrath drain away. Yeah. You've got to stick to that biblical principle. You know, God obviously will give grace, but if, if, you're, if you have a repeated habit of that, then you will reap the consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I used to use that as punishment. When she'd really hurt me with some of the things she would say, I would do the silence for three days thing, mm -hmm. which was really, really evil. It's very abusive. I mean, it's as nasty and as cruel as you can be, mm -hmm. and there's no excuse for it. And it's perfectly destructive. You've got to come back to the issue. And I want to emphasize what Bob's just been saying is sometimes we take marriage issues, relational issues, and we put them all on our shoulders. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. The grace of God is incredible. It's just incredible what, you, what can happen. And I think that exactly what you're saying, John, when you pull out of this situation and you go over you can plug into some resources that aren't all attached and mixed up. I, 
run the mountain. I just keep saying run the mountain. Really, I mean, I went through a time when my pituitary gland wasn't working. They had to give me artificial hormones, and one of them was testosterone. And there's no way to test how much you need it. It's through trial and error. I had a whole new appreciation for men, especially adolescent boys coming into their testosterone. You have to find some tools to deal with it. And, and running, uh, getting, getting adrenaline going, getting your endorphins Burn to balance out the yeah. other things. So there's really practical things you can do. A she'd come question. to me when she was doing this, she'd come to me and she'd say, I'm so angry. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, what are you angry about? I don't know. I'm just really angry. And I looked at her and I said, welcome to my world. It was awful. For the first time in my life, I understood kung fu movies. <laughs> I mean, I just got so much out of them. Okay. We, go on, we should go on to parenting questions. <laughs> let, me, let me add something, too, about hormones for women. And because I have daughters too, and if you have daughters in your house, you know, Bob always, he's always saying, We've got so much estrogen in this house, it's amazing, you know. But, um, you know, during that time of the month, guys, just just beware. I mean, just, I mean, you probably already know. As everybody has different levels of, of PMS, you know, that means pretty mean sister. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some, one of my daughters has, pretty bad PMS, you know, and, and if I can get her to realize that that's what it is, I mean, there, sure, there's things that are bad, but it gets way worse when you're in Black. PMS. Black and if, if the husband and wife can realize, okay, mark it on your calendar, seriously, yeah. because I, I used to, I'd wake up one morning and everything that day would be absolutely horrible. Everything. I mean, everything was horrible. You know, from one thing to the other, everything was depressing and horrible. And I think, and then I'd look at my calendar and, oh yeah, okay, one week before my period's going to start. Okay, I get it. It Hope, wasn't Hope horrible. Actually, it, Hope actually marks it on the calendar. Yeah. The kids don't know what it is, so please, family of God. <laughs> but on the family calendar that's in the kitchen, yeah. there's this little color-coded dot <laughs> so that I understand. Seriously. And then, And then our oldest daughter just started recently, please, privacy, please, okay, because, and the other day, my oldest daughter, who's 11, barked at me, and I was like, this needs to be disciplined, this is, except I'm thinking, so later on that day, Hope texted me, she is, I don't know, you said PMS. PMS, she has PMS, so <laughs> the mother bear was, was explaining to the daddy bear what's going on with the baby bear, all right, so this is, and it is the weirdest deal on the planet that all of the girls' cycles they all sink. That's yeah. true. They do. That is bizarre, and it's not I know. fair. I know. <laughs> no, it is fair because, guys, here's what you do. When that week comes along, it's time for yard work. Yes. <laughs> got to be in the garage. Wow. Got stuff to fix. Hey, got to clean up the backyard. Hey, got a guy. Got to go pray for for Maybe four hours it's tonight. God's way of you know, giving just us. Get out, Mark. It's God's way of saying it's going to be hell for one week rather than if you have as many kids as we do. It, it, it would never be, ends. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Get it all over with. That's good. Should we do a parenting question on that subject? When you disagree with one another over how to parent, 
specifically if one parent wants to hold firm ground and the other wants to meet the needs of the child. How do you, in that moment, effectively communicate with your spouse and decide who is right? So I'm obviously going to pass it on to the parent, parents on the panel, but I do want to say what I pick up here in that moment, in that moment is not the time to decide. These are really important discussions. Really, really urge you to sit down. Um, we have an excellent book that, that I recommend, um, How to, Holding On to Your Kids um, by Dr. Neufeld. Um, Donna Bromley, a good friend of ours, just came and did a parenting seminar. It is well worth your time to sit down as, as a couple and discuss that. In the moment, you're still going to default to your default, right? To how you were raised, to all that other kind of stuff. But at least you will have had that discussion on what to do in the moments. You can learn keywords for one another, but you need to have some of these discussions. Don't, again, don't leave the most important thing in your world to on the moment fly stress situations. Um, it, do some planning. Over to you guys. Parents? Would you read the question again? Yeah, read yeah, the question. Again. Okay, when you disagree uh, with how to write, and someone want to sort of uh, soften the blow of discipline with the kids, the other person will want to hold firm, and you disagree with each other's approach, how do you deal with it in the moment? Like how, who's right? Well, you don't do it in front of the kids. Yeah. That's, That's for sure. Yeah. Then they see you're dividing. Yeah. You yeah. go somewhere else and discuss it, or you let it, you, you have to, to deal with it later. Now, yeah. what's, the, what's the reason for that, Bob? Well, obviously, because when the kids see you divided, and they're going to take sides, and they're going to reinforce their case one way or the other, and you can't be uh, in unity. I also think that it breeds tremendous insecurity in the child. Yeah. Because what a parent, the adults know, this is an argument. The kids think the sky is falling and our family is going to be destroyed like Bobby's family and mom and dad just got divorced. So they can't process the parents fighting in front of them. Not, they don't have the emotional stability or, or fortitude to be able to handle that. Sorry. I, was I think thinking. it's, a, let me say this bluntly, I think it's a, one of the most selfish things we could ever do is to fight in front of our kids. Yeah. They need security. So what we do is when we want to fight is we pleasantly go into our bedroom and I put on my wife beater t-shirt and then we just, okay. That's so important. I really agree with that. And I, and I tell our kids that, you know, don't fight in front of your kids. It, it does. It's not, it's not fair. We have to fight fair too. We have to fight fair. There was one thing that, uh, that reminds me of when our kids were teenagers. Um, I remember our daughter did something and I knew she was lying and I knew I had her because I knew I could prove that she was lying and she was in real trouble. And I was so, I'm like, oh my gosh, she is going to really get it now because she is lying and I know she is. And, and then I remember Bob came in and the Lord, what was the deal on that? The Lord spoke to him about mercy somehow. And when he came in, he totally gave her mercy and I was so I was so mad that he gave her mercy because I had her. I knew it was true. And I wanted to nail her, you know. But he had the grace at that time. It was the Lord that you gave her mercy. And she's always 
felt that that was really powerful. So I guess God gives us mercy too sometimes. Yeah, I was at, I was getting ready to go to a minister's meeting, but I was leading the minister's meeting. And so I had to go to the store and get something before we left. So I got out of the situation and I started the car and the radio came on. And it said, even if your children are doing what's wrong, it still gives you no excuse not to have the fruit of the Spirit. That's literally what came out of the radio right then. It was a radio, Christian radio show. And, and then they started talking about the, the kinds of styles of parenting. There's a Rambo parent. And then on the other extreme, there is the, the unconditional love parent. And the parent, actually, if you're going to, what you do is you want to hit the middle there. But if, if you had to hit one end or the other, by far it's yes. to be the unconditional yeah. love parent. That is better. So I came back, and my daughter was already out of the home. She had called one of her friends. They were sitting in the car getting ready to drive away. And she was going to go you know, run away with her friend. And I went over, and I just apologized for my attitude. And it just melted everything. And then her friend turned and said, uh, you, you don't, don't, Rachel, just stay home. In the moment. Having the in the moment issue, you've already got your. But like, if I come home, I went out on errands, and my husband told my daughter, "You're not having TV for two weeks." I don't contradict him. That's right. I right. put a note on the TV, tape it on the TV, <laughs> because later I might talk to him. That might have been a little extreme off site, like you're saying. Exactly. But in the moment, I think you have to have the other spouse back. Oh yeah. Whatever they said. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know. That's good. You want to join our panel? <laughs> Seriously. That's good. Yeah, we never change gears right in front of the kid. We'll let one of whichever, I mean, it becomes clear pretty quickly that we don't agree. Whichever one seems to have been the most uh, coming through, the clearest, will stand. Then we might remove ourselves from the situation, go reevaluate. Maybe there's information I don't have. Maybe there's information he doesn't have. He doesn't know what happened earlier, that this is like the 16th time I've addressed this issue. This Now is not the time for grace. So then we revisit and say, you know what, Dad and I talked about it. And actually, because of the way you've been behaving today, actually, you don't get a free pass on this. You've got to go up to your room for an hour or whatever. But um, it's it's appearing unified in front of them, then going, getting on the same page and potentially coming back and changing and being okay with that. But that goes along with sometimes saying, one parent saying, coming back and saying, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that today, like a good example was first day of school. I won't give you all the history of it, but a bunch of our kids, we switched schools and it was a huge transition. And four out of our six kids had complete meltdowns when they got home. It was just a really hard day. And um, one of them had some behaviors that really ticked him off, but he didn't know that one of them had told me some things that had happened. And I, you know, she said, I really felt uh, like an outsider, and the girls are all so different, and da, da 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 And she had been weeping and weeping. And when I gave him that information, it completely changed his outlook about her behavior. It wasn't that she was being rebellious. It was that she was so, so, she came home literally in tears off the school bus. So, uh, yeah. Well, understand, we had, we had understanding brings mercy. We had a question right there. Oh, is it on this topic, right? Yes. Um, well, when, when one parent has been, um, has been a little bit too um, hard on the punishment, uh, one of the 
think, I don't know if you guys find this right or wrong, but one of the things that I've done is I'll never um, correct him in front of the children, but later on when we discuss it, since he was the one that gave the extremely severe punishment. Um, who, who are we talking about? <laughs> she has a friend. That she has a friend. Yeah. Your neighbor. <laughs> His name's Bob. What does extremely severe look like? I don't know if we should have that described. And... No, we're, we're, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They did something, they did something small yeah. that would require a, a timeout for a Yeah, day. the punishment but didn't equal the crime, the right. came and said, oh, you're going you're to have timeout for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So this person. Have this yeah. After that time out has gone a day or so. Yeah. So what is the question? Of reducing. Reduce it just a little bit so it won't be so. Extreme. Mean kind of like our penal system does. Would this person like to stand up and give this person's side of the story? Would this person like to defend himself in public? I just want to tell my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was before Jesus. <laughs> well, then it's gone. It's gone. Grace has covered it. Wait a minute, Mark. What do you guys want to say about that? I was just going to say, I just think you have to come to an agreement. I think... Yeah. Uh, to some degree, I grew up this way with a parent that was way over the edge, too harsh, and then another parent who tried to compensate yeah. by undoing everything covertly and allowing me to do stuff. The other, I mean, that was horrible. That's horrible. You can't do that. You can't have one parent compensating for the other parent. You guys have to get on the same page, have an agreement. And on the sub, let me, let me just say this, and I'm not. This is just this is a pet peeve of mine. But when we're talking about discipline kids and having fights and it. If we can all walk away working on one thing, please don't scream at each other and call names in private or in front of your kids. That is one of the most destructive oh. things for your marriage, most destructive things for your children. When you're disciplining your children, don't, don't scream at them. Don't tell them they're idiots or they're failures. This stuff goes inside of them, and this is on the subject, off the subject. But, and in your marriage, do you know that the data says they can predict the success or failure of yeah. a marriage by how you argue? And if you scream and call names, it's almost 100% predictor that you're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take nothing else away from this, if you're in here and you're a screamer or you're a name caller, can you just resolve right now that that is sin and it's not allowed in your marriage and you're done with it? Mm -hmm. You might find this interesting. There's a university professor who's not a Christian, but uh, he's a psychologist up in, I think it's in Washington, Gottlieb? Yeah, Gottman. His, Gottman. Gottman. And what he does is he takes a couple um, in love, uh, even before they're married, and they stay together, or, or they're married, or they've been married for 10 years or 5 years, or they're about to get married. People who are seriously in relationship. And he puts them in a small house, like a condo, for a weekend, and they film 24 hours a day, everything but the bathroom. And then they run the film through a matrix of behavior patterns. And he can predict, and this, this has got nothing to do with how the couple feel about one another, or their intentions for the future, or anything. 96% 
successful prediction of whether or not that couple will be divorced just based on how they fight. And the book is fantastic. What's the name of the? He's got several. And uh, feel free to email info at gatheringplacechurch.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you the book. We can get you some articles, some books. Guys, it's, it's scary. Very helpful information. You read this book. He's called it The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Or is that John Gray? I can't remember. It's got... Gottman. Anyway, he shows you what these patterns are, behavior that guarantee divorce. And if you see any of them in your relationship and how you're relating to one another, you must fix it because it will bring about the destruction of your relationship. I want to make sure that we answer the question that the person asked and that would reveal who asked it. So I'll give you the chance to say you guys answer my question or not, or you can be quiet for a minute because you don't want to reveal who you are. I'll give you five seconds. Okay, I'm going to assume the question was answered or not answered, and you don't want to reveal who you were. Okay. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure we... I'm I got sure. another one. This is a serious one. Uh, when your husband tells you that if you complain about your ministry again, he's going to insist that you leave the ministry because you can't handle it, how am I supposed to respond? He is the head of the household, but is he really hearing from God or reacting out of his own fears or frustrations. Um, what's happening in this marriage is that there are two uh, things that God values very highly which are in conflict. One is the quality of the marriage relationship and the other is the quality of this woman's ministry. God unquestionably values that we have significant ministry in our lives. And I'm guessing that this person has discovered that they have significant ministry in their lives. And this ministry is precious to them. And it's part of her fulfillment as a Christian. But at the same time, she's called to honoring this marriage relationship. And very clearly, the ministry and the marriage are in conflict. I'm not, I'm not clear on the question. You when your husband tells you that if you complain about your ministry again, he is going to insist on you leaving the ministry, quote, because you can't handle it, okay, gotcha. unquote. How am I supposed to respond? He's the head of the household. Mm -hmm. But is he really hearing from God or reacting out of his own fears or frustrations? The marriage and the ministry are in apparent conflict. But there's a hint in this question of what's going on. He is the head of the household, but is he, is he really hearing from God or reacting out of his own fears or frustrations? Here's the question. What's the difference? Who cares whether he's hearing from God in what he says to you or what he's saying to you is expressing his pain? He's in pain. He believes somehow that the weight of your ministry upon you and the burden that is to you and him hearing you complaining about it has touched his fears or caused him considerable frustration. So somehow you have to change that. Your marriage is frankly more important than your ministry. But the solution is not quitting your ministry. The solution is how you handle the frustration of your ministry and how much of that frustration you download onto your husband because he's sending signals here that it's really hard on him. Okay? So here's what I would say. This is what, because in, in your case, it's the ministry that's causing your frustration. Am I right? It's the ministry. But in our case, it was Shelley's illness. And when she's in pain 24 hours a day, 
Her temptation is to dwell in that pain 24 hours a day and let me know about it all the time. And I'll just tell you flat out, I can't take it. I cannot bear the burden of her complaining about her pain all the time. It's too much emotionally for me to carry. And, it's, and, and it taps into my worst fears. And it makes life unbearable. So what we had to do was this. Part of the thing that took place in the spa at 4.30 in the afternoon was this was her half an hour to dump the load. I mean, puke out all the pain, all the frustration, all the negativity. Purge yourself of it. So that the rest of the day, I'm not carrying that with you. Now that may sound selfish on my part, but it's survival. The quality of the marriage cannot be determined by one person's pain. Or the quality of the marriage cannot be determined by one person's ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we, we compromise. We have a time where, where she's free to unload all the black and wear all the black dresses. But when that time is done... She exercises self-control in those emotions and stores them up for the next day. That's her gift to me. My gift to her is sharing that half hour and listening to them and absorbing them and commenting and empathizing. Her gift to me is not making it a 24-7 reality. Does that make sense? And here's what she's told me, and I think she'll probably echo this. When she knows that there will... And she's told this, and she's, there's women in this room she's told this to. I know she has. This is, her, this, is her, this is what makes her life bearable. When she knows that she's going to have a time with her husband every single day to vent her frustrations and get her pain out, she feels secure the rest of the day and not expressing it because she knows her time is coming when she can. I know that sounds crazy, but it works. She knows she can, so she holds back. Then I can absorb it for half an hour and empathize and even give some positive input at the end of it. Like, yeah, you could try this or you could say that to so-and-so or whatever. But that's her coping mechanism. She's got a way to vent so she doesn't have to do it the rest of the time. You need to do that for your husband. And, and I need to say two things on that. I'd like, um, like to say something on it, too, before we move on. Go oh, ahead, go Shani. ahead, John. No, you go. Um, <clears throat> I found that um, having that half-hour time and seeing the fruit of it also was like training wheels for my time with God. I don't know if that makes sense. It's almost like um, what I was able to do with Mark it got more tangible and easier to do with God. I, I do far more with my journal now, you know, my prayer times and my runs, than, than what I share with Mark. It was almost like, you, yeah, you gave me training wheels of how to plug in with God on that level. And so that was really crucial because it sounds extremely wonderful that I get this half hour every day. But honestly, in um, NFL season, I, I do not get this half hour every day. I do not get it on Sundays. After you do church. get it on Sundays. Don't fight now. Okay, that's good. No, she Thank does, you. though. I mean, I'm doing the factual thing, but no. I watch it the morning game. Like I fast forward through the afternoon game. There's a break for half an hour before the evening game starts, and that's when we do it. Marcus found his purpose. Just want to mention that. Do you see how, how um, robotish he went through that? That's the way he is in the spa. I'm here. Is there a half an hour? It's a different half hour than a half hour on a Wednesday, okay? I don't know, you know, if, if this makes any sense. Okay. So that's, 
that's that vent. So that's yeah. the one thing I wanted to say is it, it showed me how to also have that time with God on a deeper level. Yeah. And so that was a really important thing. The other thing I want to mention about this question is um, we faced this as well in that um, I was so tired of being sick and in pain all the time. I got really busy. And that was one of my coping mechanisms. And um, I got a full-time job. And it, it just just about killed me. And I know it was very hard on you. And I would hear him say, you know, this isn't working, this isn't working. And I didn't want to give up the job because it just it was so helpful to compensate for, for the pain that I started to say, okay, maybe it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Maybe I can sit down and find out specifically what it is about my working full-time that is um, causing the pain and frustration and then take those to God. I truly believe with every challenge there is a provision, and yet he's told us to seek it out. You know, in, in every battle of Israel with children of Israel, when David or King Asaph or somebody would sit with God and inquire of God, God would give them a strategy. And when they went on the strategy that had worked the last time, they got slaughtered. So I truly believe getting the specifics of, well, what exactly is causing the pain? What exactly is causing the frustration? Taking that to God, finding some solutions. And I think we did find some good strategies and some solutions because um, um, yeah so those are just the two things I wanted to your, your marriage just quickly to whoever you are asking this question your marriage can't be about your ministry no. if, if that's all you end up talking to your husband about you don't have a marriage you just have an extension of your ministry there must be a way to disengage from it to where you can talk about other things that matter to you besides yeah. and, and especially when you guys when we're in ministry like we are it can consume you yeah. the church can eat you alive yeah. And leave you with nothing left over afterwards for yourself or for your friends or for your kids or for your wife. We've, we've got to have boundaries, and it's tough, but we have to impose those things. Our three-and-a-half-pound chihuahua, I think, saved a bunch because he was just something to talk about that was safe. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I, don't, I think this could pertain to... If this woman, if it's her ministry, if it was her job, if whatever it was, if it was a bunch of kids, she wants to pour out because she is, like you just taught us the last two days, she's wanting to explain everything out. and she's mm -hmm. all worried. And the guy is wanting to fix it and he mm -hmm. can't fix it right away. So right. he's, that's, Failure. It's, it's just coming, that's so the two, yeah. it's showing the two differences of men and, and women. Yeah. And so if, I think if us as women can also realize that we can't do that, we can't just lay it all out there because our our husband is going to want to fix it we need to control ourselves yeah. you know have and, a good girlfriend and have, yeah, yeah. seriously because if you have a girlfriend or someone you can share with and if you have the lord sometimes we exactly. expect our husband to be the lord exactly. can't you solve exactly. all my problems you're oh you're not yeah. jesus oh okay yeah. so i refocus so three solutions um venting with god Venting with a close friend who will keep your confidentialities that you really can trust and a limited time of complaining with your husband. And I don't mean complaining like crabbing. I mean like you need to vent. You need to tell him some things. You put it within boundaries. You do it. He listens. And then it's agreed. We're not going there again. Amazingly enough, we could actually pray about it. Yes. Together. Exactly. Wow. Good one. Four things right there. It sounds like the husband cares about the emotional health of his wife. And if it's, and uh, he doesn't like seeing his wife in that condition. So right. he's saying, you know, 
I, as your provider protector, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have to make an adjustment. I also like to say, if this person is in our church in particular, that that means that there's you're not processing up uh, to your immediate leader, which which is problematic. Because if you have frustrations with ministry, then that should be resolved within your team leader. And if that's not working, you need to find maybe go above that team leader's head to the, the next level and process it within the ministry. Otherwise, that's an unhealthy system. Um, to have to go home and be venting means there's a problem with the communication between you and your team leader. That needs to be resolved because you have gifts and talents. Clearly, you want to use them. The church needs them. Jesus is happy about it. So there needs to be a, a healthier communication system within your actual ministry. So that's really the place to process that. Um, Hope doesn't hear 90% of my ministry issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I get home, I turn off the car. I take off my pastor hat and I put on my husband dad hat. Because I don't want my family to always be, well, they used to. And this is, there's two other things I want to say. One is, I would take this out of do I need to submit to my husband and put it, that my, my equal partner in life is saying that the black cloud over your head is, is negatively shaping the atmosphere of our yeah, marriage exactly. and our home. So this isn't about do I have to submit to my husband. This is my, minister, my, my life partner saying this doesn't work for us. And what is, so now Hope said that to me a number of years ago. I was, I was really, really frustrated with my ministry. And at one point she said, and it was one of those moments where it was a life-changing moment. She just pounded her fist on the dashboard of the van and said, we are not living like this anymore. Now, that's not my wife. That's not hope. So I knew this is really serious. I've, I've gone too far with my negative attitude. So I went on a retreat for a couple of days. And the first couple of days, I watched football and ate pizza and I ignored the situation. Praise God. And then about I mean, the uh, it's stupid. You shouldn't have. And because it took, it, it, it was as much anxiety about me trying to change the external situation as it was to make an internal shift. Because I was in a very negative place. And the, the, the external, um, my dreams were not coming to pass. And I couldn't change that either. So I was stuck. So, but the point is, um, I, I, had to, I had to plug into God. And my church has heard the story, and I told a whole series on this, because when I finally got into a chair with a blank legal pad, and I said, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll do, he said, let's begin with thankfulness and go from there. Let's begin with thankfulness and go from there. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know where that would end up, but I, I, I do know that that changed my life. And I began looking through the lens of thankfulness. It changed the complexion of everything. It changed me. It changed our household. Or if you have to go like this now because we're in public and I'm telling this story, but later you can tell me the truth. But <laughs> it, it, changed, it changed everything, just like in a marriage. I mean, before you're married, all you can see is the good and everybody else is trying to tell you about the bad, about your, <laughs> your, the person you're going to marry, but you can't hear it. And then you get married and you can't see any of the good you used to see, and all you can see is the bad, and people are trying to tell you about the good, right? So thankfulness in a marriage, that's the things you're thankful about, and your spouse are critical in the same way with your ministry. But the point is I had to find God in the situation because – uh, he has the solution to your to your to your can you guys posture. Im can you imagine what a marriage would be like if for 30 days all you did as a woman was thank God for things about your husband and all you did as a husband for 30 days was thank God for things about your wife mm -hmm. can you imagine 
Do you have any idea what would be released into that relationship if you just did that five minutes a day for 30 days? It would transform everything. It's right there. Another, another word on that ministry of frustration, and I'll end with this, is sometimes ministry frustration can be because you're concerned about things that are outside your area of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the way you're doing that. I don't like the way you're doing that. I think that could be done differently. What about what you're doing right in your little yeah. circle of influence? You are you, are you yeah. focusing on doing it excellence right where you're responsible and just leave the rest? I know it can be frustrating, uh, but, you know, that, it's all about character again. Okay. We've we got time we for another one. We've okay. got time for one more. Well, Do you want to ask one of those questions, or should I ask a question? You go for it, Hope. Two good ones here. Um, this is talking about how does a wife stand her ground when God has given her specific callings and anointings that differ from her husband's? Does she always submit to the husband and his callings because he's the head of the marriage? Well, our experience, well, first of all, I want to say every marriage is different. I know people where the wife's calling is a more uh, demanding or visible and the husband has found a very comfortable and happy place and more of a support role, and that's kind of what they've worked out. I think the most important thing is, again, I've said this several times now, but it's crucial. Like, uh, for instance, my going to school it's with six kids, it's very, very demanding. But would not have happened if he were not in complete agreement. So that's my first question is on this with uh, uh, specific callings and anointings that differ is, are you guys in agreement that that is what God has called you to do? And are you in agreement and how that fits into the big picture? Because if you're not in agreement, you're going to be in conflict constantly. Um, so when you start in agreement and then you both agree on, like we came to a place where we agreed uh, at what level we allow my going to school to be in our life. And for us, it's I'm home when the kids are home. I go to school when they're at school, and I'm home when they're home. And when they're home, I am mom and doing homework and dinner, and we're having family time, and I'm not doing homework, and I'm not going to a night class. You know, that's the way that works because my primary role is supporting our family and being his wife and supporting him so that he can be the pastor of the church. That's first. And in the leftover time, that's where I plugged in my pursuing going to school and this, this you know, um, accessory role of being an epidemiologist, epidemiologist uh, eventually. So that's how, that's how we worked it out. I think when you get to heaven, I'm talking to the guy. Um, the first questions God is going to ask each one of us men are not about our ministry. They will be about our marriage. The number one thing in God's heart is how you have been a husband to her. And if your understanding of the family's ministry does not in a significant way take in your wife's understanding of her callings in ministry, then you have missed it. However that compromise has worked, it's your responsibility in leadership to take as precious your wife's desire for fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Yeah. You must, must make room for that. And anything other than making room for that is not honoring the truth of what God has told me. It's selfishness. I, I would think, too, that if God has called you to be together, in other words, life partners and raising children, that those callings are actually going to be complementary yeah. and supportive of one another. 
And we have the ideal situation because Claudia has a gift of music, and often that happens with the pastor, not always, but often, where his, his partner will have a gift in music. She can lead the worship, and he can do the preaching, and, and that has worked out well for us. But there are a lot of wives in ministry or who are married to pastors or vice versa, and there isn't that uh, kind of traditional uh, role Com- that they fall into. But I still believe that if God has called you together as a life mate, you then you're going to find those ministries that complement each other. And the husband then is going to say, yes, I want you to enter into what God has called you to because it's only going to enhance the effectiveness of what we do together for God's glory. Can I add that um, there's seasons too. Like when you're 20 years old or 20 to 40, you're doing a whole different thing than you're doing between 40 and 60. And you're doing a whole different thing when you're 60 to 80. So sometimes you might have all this vision to do something, but maybe it's for later. I didn't even start leading worship till I was 38. And I've been doing it for 24 years. So things might be totally different when you're young than when you're you know, when your kids are raised, their things are going to be different than when they're little. And and when your grandma and grandpa, they're going to be different. So, you know, we have to just wait on God's timing, too. That's a, that's a huge point. We have uh, words from God that aren't always for in the morning. And you have to recognize your seasons. So we heard God speak practically audibly to Hope about going to school. So she didn't just drop being a mom mm-hmm. and go to full time. We sat down together and said, okay, we really believe this is of the Lord. When is it? How is it? And so we are mapping it out. She'll, you know, she's going to be going to school for over a decade. But rather than starting 10 years from now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've started now, but we're doing it in pieces to where it fits in. So we have to be careful of the timing, the seasons, but also ambition. We have to make sure that we are really continually plugging into God about why am I feeling so driven? Is this my flesh or is this the Lord? Because mm-hmm. that flesh stuff can just really whack things out. And um, even just uh, recently and along the way, once you feel like you've got it figured out, you constantly got to be plugging in. And just last week, Hope's got so many things uh, in her life that she's responsible for that it was last week the Lord spoke to her and told her what her top three priorities are. So he prioritized her priorities. She said that brought so much peace to her because if other things get left undone, she knows she's doing the most important thing. So point again is we have to continually do what Shelley said and plug into God so he can give us the right perspective, the right measures, the right season. I know that means we have to have a relationship with God, but <laughs> yeah, huh? so Shelley just had a really cool idea since it's 12 o'clock. She thought, you know, we could do a blog where we take these questions unanswered and we answer them on the blog and talk about it, create some dialogue. And then and then some more questions come into that blog and we can do sort of like a marriage, an ongoing sort of a marriage blog. What do you think? I think it'd be a cool idea. So, so John, what we could do is we could create a, a third space separate from our websites. And then you have you have a mailing list, a bulk mailing list to your congregation. I have the mine too. We can let them know about this site. It's easy to set up. We can get one for free, and uh, we the four six of us that access, and we can go in and answer questions. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. That might be the best so thing that came out. It'll of this take whole a little thing. while to get this going, but 
She always going to put it together, right? <laughs> <laughs> she thought of it. She has to do it. I'm just kidding. If but, I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> We're done, guys. It was a great Thank time. So very, very much. It was really good. <laughs> so we'll take some of these. We'll keep all these and put yeah. them on there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... I'm going to just ask Claudia to close us in a word of prayer. Is that okay? Sure. Father, we're so grateful that we can uh, learn more about our marriages and learn more of how to serve you in marriage. We thank you for the teaching. Lord, we pray that you will just go before us and help us to implement these things. Give us grace. Give us strength, Lord. Make our marriages shine for the world to see. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And thank you, especially to the hospitality. Yes. Yes. They're already gone, but we'll let them know. And thank you for the child care, Deanna and Red. Great job. Amen.